Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Okay, two of you are doing good. That's good, I guess. Uh, my name is Matt Owlett. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, you can call me Matt number two or short Matt. Either of those things is fine. But it's my pleasure to open up God's word with you this morning. I always enjoy the opportunity when it presents itself, so I'm grateful to Pastor Matt for allowing me to um, share with you this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. If you have your devices or Bibles, please turn there. We are wrapping up uh, our series today on the parables that we've been doing over the summer, and we want, we, we've been wanting to look at Jesus' use of stories to communicate truth. And that ultimately what is the goal of the parables, that Jesus is trying to relay specific truth to specific people uh, through the use of story. And so uh, the parable we're going to look at is actually a difficult one to understand. I, the reason why I chose this is last fall I had the opportunity to teach a Life of Christ class to our students at school uh, for the first time. And we were looking at Luke, and what, one of the things that distinguishes Luke is the unique parables that are presented in Luke that aren't found in other Gospels. And the parables are used to show the, the philosophy side of Jesus as Luke presents him uh, as the Son of Man, as, as a, a great teacher, someone who is able to articulate truth. And so I divvied up some of the parables to the various students, and then they were going to present them. And I gave a student this parable, and uh, basically she did her best and explained it. And then she's like, but I don't understand this and this and this about it. And I looked at her and I said, I'm not really sure either. Those are some good questions. And so we did a little digging. I'm not sure that I did a great job at explaining this parable. So I figured, hey, why not try it again? Round two, here we go. So we are going to be reading the parable of the shrewd manager. We're going to do two things. One, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to treat this like a classroom setting. We're going to kind of walk through it together in sort of a, a teaching sort of style, explaining some of the nuances and the difficult sections of this passage. And then we're going to wrap up with some very difficult uh, truths that we need to internalize and apply to our own lives. There are some truths that are going to be born out of this text that may be hard for some of us to, to hear, but they're so incredibly important. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to start by reading the parable, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. The verses will also be up on the screen. I will be reading from the NIV. Here's what it says. Jesus told his disciples... There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. 
The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, before we jump into the text itself, I want to start by relaying the context to you, because the context is very important. So this is one in a series of parables that Luke gives. This is a whole section uh, revolving around parabolic teaching. And there are really two main focuses in in these parables that surround this. We see specifically the parable of the prodigal son before it, and we see the parable of the rich man Lazarus after it. These parables are designed, one, uh, for the listeners to understand their need to believe in Jesus. That is the first goal of Jesus' teaching. Secondly, these parables deal with money, finances, resources. We know that money, finances, and resources are important to us and sometimes a touchy subject to dive into, but we're going to anyway. And also, uh, as Pastor Matt said last week, there are many groups who are listening to Jesus' teachings. And one of those groups is the Pharisees, and he's going to call them out a little later in this passage because they love money so much. And so he is really challenging them in a lot of ways through this parable as well. All right, let's look at the parable itself. So it's laid out fairly simply. There is a steward who is in trouble. He has unwisely used his master's money, and he's going to be fired. Fun times. Uh, So he thinks to himself, let's see, I'm not strong. I can't dig. Don't want to do landscaping or anything like that. And I'm too proud to beg. So what I need to do is I need to set myself up So that when I lose my job, I'm not going to be left out on the street trying to beg. And so he says to himself, okay, I know that there are some people who owe my master some money. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to them. I'm going to give them a discount, sort of an I owe you one, so that when I am fired eventually, I can go back to them and say, hey, I gave you this great deal. Is there any way that you can help me out? And you might say, okay, that sounds simple enough, but the problem is, at the end of it, the master says, wow, that was pretty shrewd of you. It's almost like, good job. And so that raises for us several interpretive issues that we have to deal with in order for us to properly understand this parable. So the first interpretive issue, what did the steward do initially to fall out of grace? Now, there are two options. Either this is a deliberate sin that he has committed, or he's terrible with money, and he has just acted unwisely. Now, those two things are quite different. There's a big difference between I am swindling people versus, oh, I just made a bad investment. So that's the first issue we have to to answer. We'll come back to each of these. The second issue is when the steward gives discounts, what is it that he's actually doing? And there have been countless suggestions over what is happening here. I I boiled it down into three main options as I read uh, numerous theologians talk about this passage. It's really fascinating. Pastor Matt sent me a bunch of stuff. Thanks. Extra reading. 
No, but it was good. Uh, but there are three options. Either he is robbing his owner. It's just outright thievery. He is uh, taking interest off of the debts. Okay, so you know how interest works, right? So maybe he just says, all right, I'm going to eliminate the interest to settle the debt now. Or he is giving up his own commission. It was pretty customary that if you were the manager, that when you made the deal, you could decide, okay, what is my cut in this? And so it could be that he is taking out his cut and just giving the master back what he owes. So we have several options here. Again, we'll come back to this. Next, and this is really the heart of the matter, this is the the difficult part of this parable, is why does the owner commend his steward? And again, there are several options that have been posed. One, the master is a con man himself and says, hey, you pulled one over on me. Good job. Way to go. We're both crooks. It's option one. Yeah, great guy, right? Option two, the steward is commended because he secured his future. He may have sinned in doing so, but the master is saying to him, well, I mean, you took care of yourself. I guess that's commendable in some way. Or the steward uses his own resources. He uses what's available to him to help himself. He has, if, if this is indeed his commission, he has taken that money, and rather than keeping it himself, he has secured his future with it. So we have these options laid out for us, and you kind of see how some of these are connected to each other. So ultimately, what is the right answer? I'm not sure I have a definitive answer, but I think the key lies in verse 8. Jesus says when he has finished the parable, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I believe what Jesus is saying is he is equating this shrewd manager to the people of the world. Does that make sense? Which means that this shrewd manager is not acting righteously. I believe he is behaving crookedly. I believe that he has seen what's in front of him, decided, you know what, how can I take advantage of this situation to turn this negative of me being fired into a positive, and ultimately he ends up robbing his master of money, but in doing so, he helps himself. To me, I think that reconciles best with the text because of what Jesus says here. Now, let's get to the teaching, and we're going to elaborate on some of these things a little more. For the, peop- the second half of verse 8, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, 
Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or mammon. So Jesus gives this brief explanation of what he is trying to show or to teach his disciples. He lays it out here in these few verses. First principle, Jesus' followers must use their resources wisely. Jesus' followers must use their resources wisely. Let's look back. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Verse 9, which is also a difficult verse to interpret. says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Some passages, some translations have unrighteous wealth. This is a transliteration of the word mammon, which means uh, something of value. So in this passage, Jesus is drawing a comparison between the wealth that is worldly, secular, we might call it, and wealth that is eternal. And those are the true riches he speaks of. So as we read, we can understand, he says, we need to use the temporary wealth we have wisely for God's purposes. It says to gain friends that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He's talking about the future. He's talking about having an eternal perspective on our finances, And so what Jesus is saying is you need to use the resources you have now so that in such a way to bring people to Christ, right, to make friends that will then welcome you into your eternal destination. So again, principle number one, we need to to be followers of Christ who use our physical earthly resources wisely. Second teaching, then he goes on to talk about being faithful. And his second lesson he has for us is that being faithful leads to being trusted with more important riches. If you and I are willing to use these earthly resources that we've been given in a way that builds the kingdom, then God is going to entrust us with even more precious riches. Those spiritual riches riches, those eternal riches. The issue is those riches are more hard to quantify, right? We can look at the bank account and say, okay, yes, I know this is, I have X amount of dollars, but it's sometimes difficult to measure the eternal true riches that God has entrusted us in. But this is really ministry. It's loving and serving God and others. So if we're faithful in the physical things, we're wise in how we use our resources, then God's going to entrust us with more important things. All right, let's look at application. How does this apply to us? First application. Don't let your wealth prevent you from having a relationship with Jesus. 
I think as I was studying this passage, I thought of the rich young ruler. We're familiar with that story, right? There is a man who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've kept the law. I've served faithfully. He says, all right, sell all you have to the poor and follow me and you'll be my disciple. And it says he walks away sad because he had great riches. His physical wealth prevented him from having a relationship with the Savior. It's a big deal. Those are eternal consequences. Scripture teaches us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? And so material possessions have a way of preventing people from placing their faith in Jesus. I hope and pray that that's nobody in this room, that you are so concerned about your temporary wealth and and growing it and using it for yourself that you turn around and say, you know what, I can't have a relationship with Jesus because I know that, that includes surrendering my finances to him, and I'm not willing to do that. Scripture teaches that loving money prevents salvation. Think about that. Don't let that be you. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, for whatever reason, but if it's finances, whatever the reason, you need to surrender to Jesus. Don't let something as temporary and fading as money stop you from having an eternal relationship. That's the first application. If you're here this morning, you're not saved, maybe money is stopping you. Don't let it. Place your faith in Jesus. Second, give money to the church. I'm not Pastor Matt, so, you know, he didn't put me up to this or anything. I feel comfortable in saying this. I don't handle the finances for the church. So I get to say it, right? Give faithfully to the church. We exist here to further the kingdom of God. That's our goal. That's what we're trying to do here. And that requires temporary physical resources. Requires it. Which means it requires us to be faithful in giving. It's always a fun thing to hear, right, on a Sunday morning. Give us your money. But it's true, we need finances in order to sustain and build this ministry, in order to reach people. That is the most basic level of using our resources for eternal purposes. That is like level one. If you want to follow the principles of this passage, it requires you to say, okay, the first thing we have to do is we have to give faithfully to the church and what they're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to accomplish together. So give faithfully to the church. Principle three, use your wealth in other ways to further God's kingdom. That's going to, be, that's going to look different for all of us in our own little realms, Right? Maybe it's, it's about opening up your home and inviting people in. Maybe it's walking around and seeing people who are poor on the streets and giving them resources, time, money, etc. What are ways that you personally can use how God has blessed you to further the kingdom? That's what you should be doing with those things. Now, God's not against saving, right? I got kids that are going to go to college someday probably, and there's a lot of them, so, you know, we got to <laughs> do something about that. 
But we can't hoard our money. It's not meant to be hoarded. We cannot treat it in a greedy way. That's what this passage warns us against. Think about the rich man and Lazarus. In the very next passage, the very next parable, Jesus tells the story of a rich man who has so much. He's like, you know what? I need to build bigger barns, man, for me to hoard all of my money. Jesus says, tonight, your soul is required of you. And he dies. We cannot hoard our resources, what God has blessed us with, for ourselves. It's a hard lesson. I'm sure that it's, it's great having a new car or something like that. I wouldn't know. But there are ways that we can use our money that are going to have an impact on the kingdom of God. Are we willing to sacrifice maybe some of the best things in order to have a more profound ministry? And the last one, and we're done. We all need to examine our use of wealth. And maybe in some cases our misuse. And ask ourselves, is my misuse of wealth preventing me from having an impact? That's what this passage is saying. He's saying if you are faithful in the physical things, God's going to give you true riches. He's going to give you more responsibility. If you are unfaithful with the physical things, he's going to give you less responsibility. So what he is saying is if you feel frustrated at at your lack of ministry, the lack of, of an impact you're having in other people's lives, then your misuse of finances could be a direct correlation to that. That could be a direct result. And so he calls us to examine our hearts. Is my ministry here at church, at home, in my job, is my ministry to further God's kingdom being directly hindered because I'm unwilling to give up my value, my love of physical resources. And so each of us needs to examine our own hearts, our own lives, and say, okay, is there an area of my wealth that I'm unwilling to surrender to God and it's having a negative impact in the true riches that God wants me to enjoy? So as we think about this parable, all of the different nuances in interpreting it, I know that was brief, I know that we kind of flew through it, but ultimately, the point of the parable, the point that Jesus is trying to drive home is how are you using your physical resources and how is that going to affect eternal things? That's the truth you and I need to grab hold of. That's what we need to examine in our own lives. How are we using our physical wealth for eternal purposes? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this journey through the parables that we have enjoyed this summer. We thank you for the deep truths that have been taught to us through your son, Father, I pray that as we wrap up today, as we think about all of the principles we've learned, as we think about our own physical resources that you have given us, Father, I pray that we would use them for eternal purposes, that we would not hoard them for ourselves, 
but that we would be generous. Father, I pray for any who are being hindered in their belief in your son because of their money. I pray that they would let that go, that they would be willing to place their faith in you. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that we would not selfishly use how richly you have blessed us, but instead we would be eternally minded and focused that we could use all we have with the purpose of furthering your kingdom. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.